Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the E-Squared podcast series, hosted on Law.com and sponsored by Shook, Hardy, and Bacon. I'm your host, Scott Ferguson. In this episode, we'll join Shook Chair Madeline McDonough and London partner and solicitor Allison Newstead as they discuss the right to disconnect. Let's join them. Welcome to E-Squared. This is a podcast series examining ESG litigation risks. I am your host, Madeline McDonough, the chair of Shukarty and Bacon. I'm joined today by my partner, solicitor Allison Newstead from the firm's London office. Allison serves clients globally with a busy practice advising clients on product safety and product liability issues. Thanks for having me, Madeline. We should also mention Allison has litigation and regulatory experience across a broad range of industries, including electrical equipment, industrial and consumer goods, health, wellness, medical device and pharmaceutical products, toys, food, and automotive. One topic that all of these industries have in common is how to handle the right to disconnect. As employers and employees have experienced, the pandemic has changed the way companies do business. Indeed it has, Madeleine, and um, in fact the pandemic has really just accelerated the way in which businesses have changed the way in which they function. Um, The transition to flexible ways of working was really already underway when the pandemic began, but globally businesses were were forced very much by circumstance to implement more flexible ways of working, and that had to be done very, very quickly. And I think that very swift implementation, and often without a comprehensive and well-thought-out legal framework has in part compounded the problem that we are currently seeing. Um, Having technology to be able to work away from traditional places of work is is really truly amazing and and life-changing for many people, but the drawbacks have have really been widely documented, particularly the phenomenon of being on call for 24-7 and and what what we now uh, often call the always-on culture. Um, and I think the legal profession is just one example of how how things have changed. Um, you know, I'm reminded of when I first started practicing law. Of course, we were in the office all of the time. There was no working from home then. And uh, we would handle business by letter or by fax. And if it was really important, by using a courier. But we went home on a Friday night at 6pm and, and, and switched off. And unless there was a major crisis, um, interaction with other lawyers and clients didn't start again until Monday morning. I'm from the generation that began practicing law when there wasn't even email. Now today with cell phones and texting, employees often feel that they are on 24-7. For lawyers, at least in America, there's a pressure that they must respond to clients whatever the time of day it may be. I think America um, very much reflects the practice in uh, many other countries, uh, Madeline, including the UK and, and really across all kinds of, of industries. but. No, no matter what industry you're in, um, being on all the time and, and the ability to disconnect from your work isn't healthy physically or for your mental health. And that really has been widely recognised. And all employees can be affected by this always on culture. And, and, and studies have shown, nevertheless, that, that women are in particularly um, uh, likely to be adversely affected with their professional and, and personal life, becoming increasingly blurred by this um, this um, uh, inability to to switch off. 
And um, interestingly, Deloitte uh, recently carried out a study of 5,000 women in 10 different countries um, and found that more than half of those women surveyed felt more stressed out in 2022 than 2021. And it was revealed that being nominally hybrid doesn't necessarily benefit women unless they are fully supported by their leaders. Um, really, where, where you are in the world, who you work for, uh, and the uh, legal framework around you can make a huge difference to whether technology and the ability to work from home is beneficial to you as an individual uh, and to your company, or whether it ends up being a barrier to things like promotion, better compensation, and your own personal development. Alison, it's exciting to have you here to give us this global perspective. ESG, and we should probably explain the terms, includes environment, social, and governance. For employers, ESG issues, which we have discussed over the past few episodes, can also impact where employees want to work and the morale of the company, which can impact the bottom line. What should employers be considering on this topic as part of their ESG programs? Could you give us some background as to why some people find it particularly challenging to disconnect? Um, Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I think we need to look at a variety of factors. Um, Firstly, it's really important that employers understand their legal responsibilities concerning the right to disconnect wherever they operate in the world. It's really a global um, assessment and audit that needs to be done. Um, Secondly, uh, employers need to implement policies which reflect those legal responsibilities and also manage employees' expectations. Um, And most importantly, it's imperative that those policies are drafted that are drafted have management buy-in and that they are clearly communicated to all echelons of the business and across multiple jurisdictions if necessary. We need that buy-in to make it work. In terms of uh, why people find it difficult to dis- disconnect, I think there, there are a plethora of reasons. I think cultural challenges are a prime reason. Um, Being connected 24-7 has become an expectation in particular industries and in certain countries. And to a large extent, many people don't feel empowered to disconnect. Um, And I think the challenge there is firstly firstly for for businesses to recognise that it's not not always being on call and it can really be beneficial to the employees and uh, to the business. Employees can maintain a healthy work-life balance and they like to be more productive um, and for the business, retention is likely to be greater. But but saying all that, I think it's very difficult to break the habit of a 24-7 uh, culture without any solid legal backing. And employees do really find it very difficult to challenge the status quo. Um, secondly, I think fear of adversely affecting your career is a major challenge. Um, particularly for the younger generation. And, and there's, a, there's a perception that if you are not available 24-7 and then you're not committed to your job and you may for, therefore be sort of passed over for promotions or pay rises or other opportunities and this kind of concept of presenteeism comes into the equation there. Um, and of course, people have different challenges and demands in their personal lives which may make being on call 24-7 in their professional lives extremely difficult. Um, And I think it's those people that, in my view, have faced the most difficult um, challenges during this um, transition to uh, working from home and away from the office. And um, that's really been, um, you know, epitomised by uh, what we've seen in the pandemic. Alison, you're in our London office and serve our clients globally. Does the ability to disconnect vary from country to country? 
Could you give us some examples of where it's part of the culture and tell us about other countries who are still working through the whole concept? Absolutely. Um, one real life example um, I came across was when I was working uh, with a lawyer in Argentina um, and we were working on a case together and I needed some documents signed. Um, I was on a, a Zoom call with uh, the lawyer and the company CEO and the lawyer said to me that he was going to be on vacation the next week, he wouldn't be contactable whilst he was away and I would have to deal with one of his colleagues in his absence to get the documents finalised and signed. And the thing that I noticed is that the, the CEO didn't bat an eyelid um, when the uh, lawyer said this and it was abundantly clear to me that everyone was on board with this particular way of working that was absolutely fine to say that he couldn't be contactable whilst he was uh, away and that I had to deal with someone else. And in fact, um, the documents all got signed and finalised and all went off well. And I, um, I later learnt that in Argentina there is a legal right to disconnect and I think that was very much at the heart of that exchange that I'd had on that Zoom call with the lawyer and the CEO that, you know, it was a wider understanding in the business um, that people didn't need to be on call 24-7, 365 days a year and things could be managed without them and that was okay. Um, and now the legal right to disconnect also exists in, in other countries, albeit not, not in the UK as yet, actually. Um, at an EU level, there are proposals for a right to disconnect, which will be effective in all 27 EU member states. Uh, and this will um, consolidate um, and standardise a plethora of rights which um, already exist across Europe. Um, in France, for example, there is um, a collective bargaining approach um, at the moment uh, in place with companies obliged to reach an agreement with their employees on the right to disconnect. In Belgium, um, recently public sector civil servants were granted the right not to be contacted outside of work hours unless, uh, unless the, uh, the communication couldn't wait until the next day. I think there's probably going to be some uh, interpretation as to what can't wait until the next day, but of course that, that right is still there. Um, and consideration is being given to extending that right to all employees in, in Belgium. So um, they already have the right to be consulted about being disconnected um, and the use of digital communications. So I think in Belgium, those rights are only going to get stronger. In Italy, uh, 2021 saw the introduction of a right for employees working remotely to disconnect um, as well. So, so that right exists there. Um, other countries in Europe do things a little differently. Ireland has a voluntary code of practice on the right to disconnect. Um, and in Germany, whilst there are no um, statutory legal rights to disconnect um, at the moment, um, companies are taking the lead by introducing disconnecting policies. Um, there's several German auto manufacturers um, who have introduced policies and procedures to facilitate this, like um, having uh, servers hold emails after work hours until the next day. So those kind of uh, company-led um, initiatives really are enshrining that right to disconnect within the company's culture. And that's really um, illuminating how uh, German companies have taken that forward. So um, as I mentioned, uh, the UK doesn't currently have a right to disconnect and of course won't be part of the um, EU proposals. But um, such a right is widely um, supported by um, employees and trade unions have been calling for a statutory right to disconnect and the creation of some uh, something called communication free time. So I think we're going to see certainly some changes in the UK, which will no doubt uh, mirror what we uh, see happening in Europe. That's very interesting as to Europe. 
What about other parts of the world? Yes, um, both um, India and the Philippines have seen proposals for a right to disconnect, but, but ultimately they didn't make it onto the statute books. But um, the world is looking towards Ontario in Canada, which introduced a right to disconnect, uh, which became effective quite recently, actually on 2nd of June 2022. Um, all employers with more than 25 employees have to have a written policy giving workers the right to disconnect. Um, I think there's still some uncertainty out as to how that's going to to play out, and I'm going to be watching that closely. And I think um, companies who are thinking of um, introducing policies relating to the right to disconnect will be looking as to how things are going to play out in Ontario and the challenges faced by companies there. Back here in the States, in California, for example, they are considering a work schedule change to help with disconnecting. For example, they're considering a four-day work week, no more than 32 hours for the same pay. Studies from Iceland have shown that there is high productivity with a 32-hour work week. So there is something there to be said, potentially, for quality of life and workplace issues. Yes, yes. These are all um, issues that employers are going to have to work through and address, Madeline. We will continue our conversation with Shook partner and solicitor Allison Newstead after this. Shook, Hardy & Bacon is a premier trial firm serving clients in the health, science, and technology sectors. Whether you're crafting an ESG policy or resolving claims through negotiation or litigation, Shook attorneys build on decades of experience and are positioned to provide end-to-end support. We are back with Shook partner and solicitor Allison Newstead, who is in London. Alison, have you seen any litigation concerning the right to disconnect? Yes, I have. Um, in France, the current um, legislative uh, provisions on the right to, to disconnect actually have their origins in a 2004 judgment of the Cour de Cassation, um, which is uh, France's highest court. Um, in that decision, the court found that an employee's failure to answer his work phone outside of his regular work hours um, was not a valid reason to fire him. And it was that case that paved the way to the current uh, rights um, relating to right to be able to disconnect in France. And in the UK, even though we don't have this legal right to disconnect as yet, there have certainly been successful stress claims where people have been overloaded with work or in terms of volume and demands on their time, and they suffered mental injury as a result. And the legal rights to disconnect that are already in place in Europe and which are proposed they don't require um, an element of injury or you know, proof of injury. It's just breach of this right to disconnect, which will um, give, um, you know, give employees some protection. So to this end, my sense is that we're going to certainly see an uptick of um, claims in this area across, across Europe indeed. Any final thoughts on the right to disconnect, Alison? Well, Madeline, it's not going to go away. Um, I think there's going to be an increasing portfolio of laws governing the right to disconnect, particularly as we all get very much used to this hybrid way of working and waking away from the from the office. But how these legal requirements are coordinated and how sectoral industry and global differences and differences between genders and generations are addressed will not be an easy task. I think there's uh, a lot to be done there. But there there are some easy wins that can help employees uh, disconnect um, and that employers can champion within their own businesses. Um, for example, making alternative work schedules clear on the footer of email messages or ensuring that employees have a work and a personal cell phone, um, encouraging people to indicate their emails sent out of 
what we now call, I don't know what is a normal office hour, don't need an immediate reply. Um, and on a more macro level, I think employers really do have to make the commitment to disconnecting and communicate that commitment effectively to all staff and make sure that everyone um, abides by those um, those policies and that commitment. And, and by doing so, you're empowering your staff to disconnect and ultimately creating a happier and more productive workforce. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time today, Alison. Thank you, Madeline. Coming up in our next episode, Shook's pro bono director will talk about choosing pro bono matters that make an impact. And if you are just finding us now, we have previous ESG podcasts on the law.com platform on a host of topics, including the environment, cultural investigations, and climate change. For more information, please go to the Shook website at shb.com. Please join us next time for more discussion examining ESG litigation risks. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode in the E-Squared podcast series, hosted on Law.com and sponsored by Shook, Hardy & Bacon. I'm Scott Ferguson. Thanks for listening. For more legal analysis and insights, please visit Law.com.